0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up.
2: It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flare out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albie's going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the Parker. Relay throw
1: comes toward the plate. He'll score standing and it's his second inside the park home run of the season.
2: This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road2Atlanta. the Number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and
1: Garrett Spain.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast voted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves Prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on BatteryPower.com, where I've been the deputy site manager since 2018 and the minor league editor since 2015. Joining me as often in a what is best described as an unplanned episode of Road to Atlanta. You can follow him on Twitter over at M I L B One Garrett Spain. Garrett, how are you, my man? I am good. A little bit uh, frantic right now. It's quite a bit going on for
1: us today, and big series at the major league level. So it's a it's a big day for the
2: Braves. <laughs> yeah. So full disclosure to our listeners, uh, it was in, very likely that we weren't going to have an episode of Road to Atlanta today. Uh, our general plan was I had some plans that had f- fallen through for tonight, uh, but we were already kind of looking ahead towards the end of the week for our draft preview show, which we are still going to do. Uh, is just going to be a big rundown of what we think is going to happen in the draft, the guys we like, the strategies we like, the guys we don't like, the strategies we don't like. Just kind of running down all of our thoughts on the draft so we can get that into one show before we kind of get into the draft, which starts on the 17th, question mark. Uh, I know it's kind of days of the week, but the short answer is it's going to be starting up at the end of the weekend. We want to make sure that we're good to go and have that information in place for you. And we want to have all the mock drafts and stuff from this week kind of in that preview show anyway. So it was going to make some sense to do it then. However, the Braves had other plans for us on this day uh, because two big pieces of news came out. Uh, One matters more to us than I think to the general public. But also the other one matters to us a lot and to the general public a lot as well. Uh the those two big pieces, of course, are that Von Grissom. Uh it was reported that he's being promoted to uh double A Mississippi. And then also the Braves reached terms with the Kansas City Royals on a rare draft pick swap where they're gonna be taking the 35th overall pick in exchange for three prospects, including Drew Waters, Andrew Hoffman, and CJ Alexander. Now, Garrett, we're gonna talk a little bit about Von Grissom first, uh, before we kind of do a a deeper dive into kind of what's been going on in this trade, breaking it down both on the, you know, what the Braves had to give up and then what the return is and what that could mean for them in about a week or so. Talk to us a little bit about Vaughn Grissom. I mean, this is a very well-earned promotion. He's pretty clearly the best prospect the Braves have in the farm system right now. And a guy that we've talked about a whole lot on this podcast, happy to see this move happen. Talk to us a little bit about him. Yeah. I mean, Grissom was kind of a no brainer. I think, you know, the same with Hoffman
1: when he got promoted to a little bit was we were kind of thinking maybe it would be more towards the draft time, towards uh, the all-star break that they would get promoted. But, I mean, there's a point with Grissom. He's on a 37-game on base streak. He has like a 180-weighted runs created plus in that time. I mean, it's just he's absolutely tearing the cover off the ball, and it's very clear that he's outgrown the level. Um He's an interesting one because I think with him being at AA A this point, it kind of makes him an option next year at some point. I don't know if, you know, probably not looking at him out of spring training, but now that he's at AA, if he comes in and succeeds over the next couple of months, he's going to be a guy that come next year is going to be an option to come to the major level, or if they need a guy to fill in, or if for whatever reason he plays well enough and they think that he's the starter. Um, You know, the interesting thing for him, you know, I think we're still on the boat with Grissom that the biggest deal is for him to develop as a defender. But overall, I mean, what he's done offensively this year, what he's done offensively this year has been fantastic. I mean, he's improved his power. He's cut his strikeouts. He's had a little bit of a drop in walk rate. But overall, we've seen an adjustment for him towards driving the ball more frequently, especially over the last month. And really defensively, he's made a ton of strides. He's a lot more consistent in terms of he's not making those throwing errors as much. He's not making the fielding errors as much. There's still – he's limited somewhat athletically. He's not the most rangy guy at shortstop. The arm is fringy at shortstop, especially with the accuracy. But overall, he's a guy that he's improved at really every single aspect of the game coming into this year and has been – by a fairly wide margin, the best player in the system. And so it's going to be interesting. I'm fairly hopeful that he's not going to struggle with that double A promotion. I don't really think given the way that he hits the ball, the way he recognizes pitches, I think that he's going to be just fine. And he's going to be a guy that's once you see him hit at double A, we're going to see him get a lot more attention nationally because he's kind of a guy that's just not quite getting on top 100 list yet. And he's going to be the guy that's very clearly the top guy in the system.
2: Yeah, I, I, just to piggyback on a couple of things you said there, uh, the the power production has been the biggest thing that we were looking for, especially after the first month or so of the season, where he was doing everything you wanted him to do. He was drawing walks, he was hitting for average, he was doing work on the base paths. I mean, again, he's not a guy who's crazy fast, but he's he's stolen quite a few bases this year. Uh, he just have definitely is an opportunistic guy on the base paths. Um, but the biggest thing for me was just you know like how much is he going to impact the ball? I mean, how many you know, opposite field bloops and, you know, ground balls that sneak through, those are great and all, but you have to be able to show that you can impact the ball. And what he's done recently is just show that he can hit those, you know, drive the ball with line drives. Every once in a while, he hits an absolute tank. Most of his home runs, I think, aren't like, you know, like, you know, tape measure shots. Uh, He certainly has the ability to kind of run into one, but again, he, but he has power in that bat and he had to be able to show that he can, you know, do that on a somewhat consistent basis because there's just, Otherwise, he's just kind of a guy with a good hit tool, and if you can't impact the ball, you just there's a real there's a real ceiling problem with those types of hitting prospects. But he's shown that he can do that. He's hitting doubles, hitting home runs, and again doing all the other stuff that he does well. I'm with you. Uh, I'm a little bit, maybe a little bit more skeptical. I, I understand that he's been a little bit better lately at short. Uh, I still see him more as kind of a utility guy that you can give. You know, guy's days off, you prefer, kind of maybe prefer to have him as at second base long term if that's kind of you're protecting him as a, at a at a position. But I don't think he's played poorly enough at shortstop to completely write off the idea that he could stay at short. Uh, but maybe as a utility guy, maybe as a second baseman, I think shortstop's a possibility. I don't know if I like him over at third as much because I think that some of the limitations with his arm – are accuracy and they they can be kind of compounded by having to throw all the way across the diamond. I could be wrong about that. But overall, I think that he's, you know, defensively, there are some questions there. But I mean, I wouldn't hate him in like in in a corner spot in the outfield or anything like that either. He can just flat out hit. And when you have a guy that can just flat out hit, you just kind of keep developing him, see what kind of defensive home he eventually settles down in and you kind of sort out the rest later. But overall, just a guy who we are very, very high on performed very, very well. Uh, We are expecting some other promotions uh, as well. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about kind of the openings from the trades here. Uh, Obviously, before we kind of get into the names that left, there are roster spots that are available at Mississippi and Gwinnett. Now there's one more spot at at Gwinnett. Uh, Presumably that was maybe filled by Mike Ford, but maybe they, they moved some things around to kind of put another guy in there internally. And there's also two spots at Mississippi. One of those has been filled by Vaughn Grissom. Uh, We're expecting guys like Dylan Dodd, Lissandra Santos. Those are guys that are at Rome that around this period of time, it's either you know right before the draft or right after the draft is when we kind of see that roster movement. It seems like given the Braves moves that we're going to at least see some of those moves happen internally now to kind of move the guys up that have earned those promotions, move them to Rome, from Rome to Mississippi, and so on and so forth get the guys settled in for the rest of the season, see where the roster spots are going to shake out after the draft, make your assignments in the lower levels than the minors, and call it a day. Uh, Again, again, Vaughn Grissom, Dylan Dodd, Lissandro Santos, that's kind of the groups of guys that we're talking about. If you're looking at the, you know, obviously Freddie Tarnock has already been promoted. Maybe you look at a guy like Jared Suster down the line as well. Um, You know, relievers, things like that. Those are the kinds of moves that I think we're going to see made. I don't think we have any big high-level prospects beyond those guys. That we could see moving yet, but we'll have to wait and see kind of how the Braves have evaluated guys going forward. So uh, I'm kind of burying the lead a little bit. Is that you know one of the reasons that a lot of this stuff matters is because a very it's a u- unique sort of big trade, right? In the sense that we don't see trades of draft picks very often, partially because there are only certain types of dra- draft picks that can be traded, and the Braves have you know famously like traded made a trade that ultimately resulted in the acquisition of Austin Riley in the draft, uh, and it's those comp picks. It's those, you know, it can't be just you know, the regular assigned picks to your, to your team. You have to kind of get these these compensation picks that are actually available to be traded. And teams since Coppolella was uh, very adamant in trying to acquire these draft picks and was very successful in doing so, at a relatively discounted price, teams have been very hesitant to trade these kinds of picks in the last several years. But the Braves were able to pull off trade with the Royals for the 35th overall pick. But it did. It, there was some cost here. Uh, I don't think it's a cost as much as some people think. Uh, the three pieces that the pieces that are leaving the Braves and heading to the Royals organization are former top prospect and guy who's really kind of fallen off a <laughs> – fallen to the wayside, I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. Drew Waters, uh, Andrew Hoffman, who's a pitching prospect that we liked a lot. Uh, and C.J. Alexander, who's been in the organization for a long time. So Garrett, talk a little bit about these three guys, where they kind of stood in the Braves organization as they were leaving it.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of your opinion on this trade kind of depends on the last time you watched Drew Waters play, uh, because you know, for me, I th- personally, for me, I would put Hoffman as the biggest acquisition from this trade, or the biggest guy that they traded away. I mean, I actually I,
2: think agree, I agree. Yeah. Um.
1: It's not like he's not significantly better than Waters, but at this point, I think one Hoffman is the better overall prospect, and I think that he's the more like would have been the more likely to contribute in Atlanta. You know, Waters was a guy that you know three years ago we were putting this guy you know people were throwing sixties on his hit tool, and now they're throwing thirty fives and forties on it, and that's just. I mean, that's what it is, and that's what he's shown. He hasn't shown an ability to really recognize pitches at the AAA level or hit them, and it was fairly clear that, you know, it wasn't necessarily clear, but it seemed more than likely that that change was not going to happen with the Braves. I hope he goes to Kansas City and they figure something out and he has a fantastic career because he has all the talent in the world. We know he has all the talent in the world. It's just he hasn't been able to unlock that, and the Braves don't, they don't have a pos they're not in a position where they can just kind of wait on guys, let them figure it out. They're trying to win World Series championships now, and having a guy in your system that you just kind of have to let him go through it, it's not really the best idea, you know, especially when he's taking up a 40-man spot. Talented, it's just wasn't going to work out with the Braves, and they got the value that they could from him. Hoffman is a guy that I think has shown he can be a back end starter. He's got three pitches. Um uh, his slider is very, very good. His change up flashes good. You know, there are times where it's inconsistent, but overall, I mean, he's been probably the best pitcher overall in the system this year. He had a two, three, six ERA, I believe it was, at at high A Rome. He had just gotten caught up to double A. He was a guy that we had liked after the draft and then after watching him this season was a guy that we went pretty high on pretty quickly. I mean, he's got a 93-95 fastball that plays up in the zone. This is a legitimate pitching prospect and one of the three or so best right-handed pitchers probably in the system. Three or four guys. Um, And so it's it's a loss and fortunately it's kind of a trade from depth. They've got a bunch of guys that project as back-end starters in the system. And so you feel fairly confident that okay, you've traded away Hoffman, but you've got a couple of other guys that you feel can fill that role and you're not necessarily trading guy That's a long-term impact on the franchise. We like Hoffman. I think that he's going to succeed with the Royals. It's just a matter of did the Braves need him? Not necessarily. And you flipped a 12th rounder and an outfielder that probably wasn't going to play for your team for a, for the 35th overall pick. That's a fairly good deal. I would think I, I don't actually totally understand it from the Royals perspective, Um, But I do definitely understand it from the Bryce perspective and it gives them a lot of flexibility in this draft. As for CJ Alexander, I think we can both agree that that's not really a factor in this trade all that much. I'm not, I was not even sure that alexander was going to be with the organization very long uh, the way he was playing and as many years as he spent in double a not being very good i kind of figured he was fairly close to kind of getting the axe and getting cut anyways so for me it's not really a uh, factor though it would be very funny if that was a significant part of the conversations i do like the idea of dayton Moore being like it's cj alexander or the trades off that'd be h- hilarious
2: yeah i I am not quite as low as you are on C.A.J. Alexander. I do think that there's real questions about this hit tool long-term. He's shown up more this year, uh, and I will say he's a pretty good defender at third, and he does have power. But the hit tool is a real question, uh, has had some health issues as well, and he had those two years where he was just abysmal at the plate. Keep in mind, C.J. Alexander was already kind of an older draftee and has been at AA since 2019. Which is not a <laughs> insignificant amount of time to be at one level. So I'm again, I'm, I'm I, I don't like completely hate C.J. Alexander as a player, uh, but we like he probably would have snuck back into the the back end of our top thirty, would be my guess, just because of the strength of the system right now. But you know, I'm not a guy that's like necessarily gonna miss him. Uh, but he's a pretty good defender over at third, and he does have some power. So you know, something could theoretically he is. Like uh, not a uh, it's not a complete non-zero to me, but it's not a guy that's moving the needle a whole lot either. Uh, Drew Waters has just been kind of a, a tragic case. You see all the athleticism, you see his ability ability to make plays in the outfield. When he's on base, he makes things happen. But like his ability to impact the ball has been really hampered. I don't know if it's injuries or what it is, but he's just not impacting the ball nearly as much anymore. And the hit tool question was it has been there for a couple of years now. So when you have a, a issue of issues with his approach you know, all the ground balls and the fact that he's just not hitting the ball as hard anymore. All of a sudden, a lot of the value that you get out of a guy like that is just really lost. And you combine that with just his inability to kind of not shake these nagging injuries. And again, it's like weird muscular stuff. And, you know, it's hamstrings, it's obliques, it's quads, it's stuff like that. And I don't really know to attribute that sort of stuff to. Uh, is it a conditioning problem? Is it just a bad luck problem? Is it, you know, what what is going on there? But he needs that kind of quick twitch athleticism to be able to, you know, make things happen at the plate. And he hasn't had that for a while now. Um, he was going to be downgraded pretty significantly on our list, I would imagine. We haven't really made our, you know, made our prognostications quite yet. we are waiting until after the draft to make our top 30. But he just hasn't been the same guy. And when you have that and you have a guy like Michael Harris who's really settled into the center field role, you have Ronald Acuna Jr., um, you know, at that point, you're like, you can start to afford to be a little bit picky. Like, is this the guy that we're really going to be hanging on to? Or do we, you know, we look ex- to external options? Do we look to the draft? And maybe we just try to see if this guy can have a fresh start elsewhere. Hoffman for me is kind of actually the biggest piece of this trade. I do like him quite a bit. Uh, you know, striking out better than a battered in inning inning in high A as a guy who's a twelfth rounder, a guy who was, you know, when we were drafted we liked him, but we didn't think he was going to be like one of the better prospects from that draft. But that turns out that's what's why it happened. He was one of the better pitchers in the South Atlantic League last year. They loved him at Rome. Uh, the organization also really liked him. The, the, that's the piece that I think. That the Kansas City might be getting the most value for there, uh, and for the Braves, you know, it's hard to be too upset for being able to get a real value for the twelfth round pick that you make in a draft. You know, get, sending him off in a trade and actually getting him real return back, you can't be too upset. But it does kind of sting a little bit because you, you want guys like those those day three guys to come back and succeed and end up being really good uh, for your major league club. Those the 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 picks that scouts love to see made and, and succeed. It's the ones that you know the good organizations they they find value on those day three those day three guys and the Braves are among the absolute best to do it. And Hoffman was a pretty clear example of it. So overall, I, I, I certainly will miss Hoffman. Uh, and, you know, I've been moving covered Drew Rogers for a long time. Same thing with CJ Alexander. So it's nothing against those guys, but overall I'm actually pretty happy with what the, it costs to the Braves in this trade to get the 35th overall pick. And when we come back from our break, after a word from our sponsors, we're going to talk a little bit about what the return is for the Braves and what that could mean for the team coming up in this draft, because there's going to be a
0: lot going on with it. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's
2: this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to
1: fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: All right, Garrett, it's time to go full on tinfoil hat, figuring out what's going on. With this draft strategy now, so this is fascinating. Obviously, we mentioned already that the Braves, in return for those three prospects, got the 35th overall pick in the draft. Uh, The bonus pool value for that pick is a little over $2.2 million. I cannot stress enough to our listeners how much money that is. Going into this trade, the Braves had the 19th overall bonus pool in the entire draft. And that's not a terrible amount of money, especially considering that they're coming off a World Series championship. A lot of the times those, those are the teams that have, like, the worst bonus pools. They were certainly going to be able to do some things in the draft to kind of get the most value for their picks. But the problem with where they stood is that they were picking kind of in that bottom, that bottom third of every round. And the way this draft lined up is that that is not necessarily taking advantage of, like, the best of the talent at each tier, if that makes any sense. And also they were not gonna be able to float guys to them. They have an extra they had already had an extra pick after round two. It was gonna be very hard for them to float guys, even if they wanted to go over slot, because there were so many teams that had so much money ahead of them. And you know, it's the it's the Mets, it's the Orioles, it's the Diamondbacks, these teams with big, big bonus pools that were always gonna be obstacles. We're like, you know what, maybe we can try to we'll take we'll tell this guy we'll pay him two hundred thousand over slot or whatever to if you'll you know get floated down to us a lot of those teams would be like oh yeah we can match that no problem you know if those are guys are desirable so getting that extra 2.2 million in bonus pool being able to spread that out in a lot of different ways and we'll be talking about about that is no joke and you know obviously getting an extra Hot, extra pick is great. Uh, it gets gets more talent into the system. This feels a lot like the team is just taking their minor league assets and reinvesting them to kind of fill out the the lower levels of the minor leagues and get some of the future going down there in the lower levels. What was kind of your what's your kind of initial thought process? Is kind of when you see that the Braves have now and essentially an extra first round pick, more or less. And what what do you think the Braves should do? What are your kind of just general thoughts about it? Well, the main the
1: main draw of it is the flexibility of the pick because in the previous drafts it was kind of you know whatever guy gets to you in the mid twenties that's kind of who you pick and you're kind of stuck there. Uh, whereas with now having that extra money, if you know if a guy slides to you, you have the flexibility that you really like. You have the flexibility to go you know a few hundred thousand over a slot, a million over a slot, and take that guy. You have the ability to spread out and get four or five top-level talents rather than just two, that type of thing. And especially in a draft like this where there's not a lot of separation between the back-end first round and the second-round guys, there's very little separation between those talent levels. And so with that 35th pick, you're not going to get a guy that's a whole lot worse than the guy that you're getting with the 20th pick. And so with the way that the stress shapes up and with the kind of plateau at that tier of prospects, it's a really good strategy because they have the flexibility to, like I said, pretty much do whatever they want once a guy gets to them. If they want to go over a slot and there's a guy there, they can do it. If they want to spread out the money, they can do it. And it really opens up the options in a lot of ways. I I I would tend to think that they're going for. I would tend to think that their first round pick probably hasn't changed unless, obviously, something crazy happens on draft day. That's just one of those things that you don't really know until draft day. But then you now have that second pick where you can get, you know, if there was a guy that you wanted with that first pick, but you kind of had two guys and this guy still makes it to you at 35, you now have the opportunity to go out and get a second guy that's that top tier talent that you wanted. And that's a ton of difference in this. For this draft, I mean, it's going to be about, you know, with the draft in the baseball, it's so unpredictable. It's about trying to stack as many talents as you can possibly get. And having another guy in the system, having that pick, having that extra money will allow them to do more on day two and day three. Perhaps get a guy that slides in the early rounds, and we won't see necessarily them kind of funneled into a specific strategy. They can go into the draft doing whatever they want to and come out feeling pretty good about it.
2: I think you're absolutely spot on with this. And the flexibility is really important because you and I've talked about this a lot. It felt like that with the Braves bonus pool combined with where they were picking the best way. And it felt like the only way that they were going to get good value for their picks is to do what they have been doing in drafts, which is go a little bit under slot with their first pick. And then maybe in another early round, go over slot with an under slot with another pick and then on day two, spread out trying to grab prep guys that they liked uh, or junior college guys or whatever, you know, signing over slot, but we're not talking about the same levels of money, right? Like, you know, if, for a $400,000 slot, you know, giving a guy six fifty, dollars something like that. And that, it, there's real value in that. And the Braves are very, very good at that draft strategy. I don't want to like discount that in any shape, way, or form. But the problem is, is like, like you said, what if, let's say, like a Brock Porter or a Dylan Lesko? Uh, those are, you know, two prep arms. Uh, I, I think it's a little unlikely that Porter gets there, obviously, but those are just kind of two examples. What if they end up sliding to the Braves at 20? What the Braves would probably have to do is be like, we can go a little bit over slot. Would you take that? But the problem is that those guys wouldn't take that because one of two things are absolutely going to be true. Either they're going to say, no, sorry, since I didn't go early enough, I'm just going to go to school, or they know for certain that one of those teams with a big bonus pool that has compensation round picks are going to be able to pay them what they want to get paid. Uh, and that's why they're that's why their price demands are where they are. And that's why they slid to where they were. But now the Braves with this extra bonus pool can be like, look, you know, if you want three and a half, you know, four million dollars, it kind of depends on the player here. Um, will you sign, you know, Jet Williams, will you sign for this amount, you know? We can go over slot to get you and bring you in. All of a sudden, the decision becomes a lot harder, and then then the guy has to wonder, well, I'm going to a team that has World Series aspirations, and I'm going to get paid the way that I feel like I should be paid. The Braves really couldn't do that. Conversely, they could just go just value for value, and then they get the 20th overall pick to pick the best guy on their board. Uh, maybe to try to save money there, they you know, they have a guy they like, and then they you know, just sign the cheaper of whatever options they do like, and then they just go and get a solid player. Again, like you said, the separation after those first 15 picks, I think it's about 15, maybe 16 if you're feeling generous. The talent level is a functionally 2nd rounders to me, and there's a bunch of them. Uh, and it's not just guys who maybe have warts, in terms of like their play, you know, like maybe there's a hit tool question, a defensive question, or whatever. There's also all those Tommy John guys. It's the Peyton Pellettes, uh, Dylan Lesko's a name we've already mentioned. You know, Landon Sims. You know, just insert Connor Prelip. Those are all guys that you don't necessarily want to p- p- blow a top fifteen pick on. I don't think. Maybe one of those two, one or two of those guys gets picked, but those a lot of those guys were first rounders before they got hurt. And maybe just maybe, the Braves go. You know what? We'll just go ahead and with our draft strategy, pick the guy that we wanted at twenty. But at thirty-five, we might not have wanted to pick one of those Tommy John guys at twenty. But at thirty-five, we will bring in a Paulette, a Sims, a Prelip, and pay them well to come into the organization. Or. And again, they can just, they, they, and they can do this a lot of different ways. If they, you know, just pick their guys and they're saving a little money here in the first two picks, and in the second round, a guy who's fallen out, a Tommy John arm or a, a prep guy who has a hard commitment to buy out of, and they have a bunch of money, they can throw it at them and say, Hey, look, would you take this? We will pick you if you'll take it. And you have that flexibility when you have this extra bonus pool. And, and there's a ton of ways this could go. You know, we've, we, we've long just kind of been like, you know, like who could they go over slot for, who could they go under slot for, you know, who are the guys that are going to be available. And the problem that the Braves were we from the guys, even that we liked, let alone who the Braves like. And, you know, we have some ideas that who the Braves like, but the problem is, is the the guys that they seem to like fell after their first pick, but before their second pick. Right. You know, the the guys that we like, you know, like the Adam Mazers of the world and things like that. Those are, those are guys, players we like. Uh, Eric Brown's another one that I like out of Coastal Carolina. Those are guys that are going to probably be gone. They're not going to be, pick before 20 or at 20 but you really wish you had a pick between 20 and 57 now they have that pick in addition to having that compensation pick at the end of the second round they have the ability to throw some money at some guys who have thrown who have gone a little bit who have gone who've fallen a little bit further than they planned on uh, or they can maybe even float them down to them because they actually have the the money to be able to fight some of these teams that have a lot of bonus pool and it's fascinating this changes everything if you look at the mocks from the last three months for the Braves a lot of them almost don't matter anymore in a lot of ways, right? They still like the same guys, the, le- the level they used to, but now they have the ability to position the board much more effectively and play the board much more effectively because having that extra money, having that extra pick allows them to go, you know what? We think this guy will be in the comp rounds. And that could be, you know, a bat that they like, that could be, you know, a prep pitcher that they think they can buy out of a commitment they have, that, that takes some convincing, um, you know, or a guy that's maybe fallen a little bit further than they planned on, you know, they're picking between two guys at 20 and then they go, maybe this other guy will be there at 35. We'll tell him we'll, we'll pay him this much and see if we can float him down to us. There's a lot of ways this could go a lot. And, you know, the now the Braves, strategy, Braves draft strategy is completely different to me. Uh, it's not just go with the college arm that we like the most that we can save the most money on and then space out our money, just get value for all of our picks and call it a day. I think that this now they could really make some moves, some really exciting picks. Uh, It's even hard to project what those picks could be at this moment. Uh, My head kind of starts spinning at prospects, you know, you know, like does this make them players for, you know, Kate Horton or Kumar rocker? I don't think so, but you know, having that extra money means that there's a lot more possibilities than there were, you know, just a few hours ago. So Garrett, is there anything else you want to add before we let everyone go? No, not at all. I mean, I think,
1: I think we'll kind of start probably on the draft review episode. We'll kind of have a few days to get a, everyone will have a few days to kind of wrap their heads around players that we maybe weren't even necessarily looking at because we were looking at, well, 20 and 57. And once we kind of get a better chance to kind of Get our thoughts wrapped around this. We'll have a better feel of, you know, what players we kind of want to, want them to target. And then I think you'll probably see on the draft episode that that will kind of be a, it'll be a little bit more of a uh, definitive feeling there at that point.
2: Well, and we're also going to have more information come out, and that's important, right? It's that you know, like more information is going to get reported. Uh, the I mean, this just happened to the Braves too. You know, the scouting department, Dana Brown, they're trying to figure out exactly what they're going to be doing now that they have this extra money and they have this, but they have this extra pick that changes everything for them too. You know. It, and as the next few days unfold, we're going to start hearing and seeing things and rumors about who they're talking to, who they're interested in. And once we get that information out there and we we'll start hearing what we hear as well, we're going to be able to kind of put that piece together and hopefully for our draft preview. So again, it'll probably be Thursday, Friday, something like that. Uh, that. That sounds like when we'd be doing it. We don't, I don't want to necessarily do a show right the night before the draft, but who knows, maybe that's what we end up doing. It just kind of depends on a lot of scheduling type stuff. Um, but we're going to make sure we get that preview episode up here. We'll try to get Matt on here as well so we can talk about all the guys that he likes, uh, the how the mocks are breaking down late and all that other stuff. Uh, make sure you're checking out BatteryPower.com. We have a lot of draft preview content going up on the – we've done positional previews. We're going to do some kind of the – some of the rumored targets. For the Braves, uh, again, we're 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 gonna do probably just the first two names, or just the guys who've been mocked the most to the Braves, and then we're gonna really keep our ears to the ground for guys that we think would be really good fits for them at the with their first overall pick, and then from there we're gonna be kind of just doing general roundtable type stuff, our general thoughts as we kind of get into the draft coverage for the weekend. I want to thank you all for the support on the podcast. If You want to make sure you never miss a single episode. of of Road to Atlanta. All you have to do is subscribe to the Battery Power Podcast on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Anything that you can can get podcasts from, we are likely listed on it. If we are not, please let us know. We'll make sure we get listed on there. Don't forget to tell a friend. Make sure you leave a five-star review. We appreciate all of you. And until next time, we'll see you on the road.